Chapter 17 of The Great Sinners of the Bible This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Marie Christian The Great Sinners of the Bible by Louis Albert Banks The Scarlet Line in the Window and she bound the scarlet line in the window. Joshua chapter 2, verse 21 Here is a story full of human interest. Two soldiers are spying out the land which is to be captured by their army. They are hunted, and in their emergency, when their lives hang on a thread, a woman comes to their rescue. She had been a bad woman, and her sins had not been covered up but were known to all her little world. But she was a bright woman, and had come, in some way, to have more information about this army of Israel than most of the people of her city. She had heard enough about them and their history to believe in their God, and to have faith that he had power to give them success in taking possession of the land in which she lived. So when she saw these two spies, hunted and in danger of death, she gladly risked her own life to befriend them, hoping thereby not only to do a kind deed to them, but to obtain protection for herself and for her family when the city should be taken by the enemy. She hid the men on the top of her house as long as she dared, and then tied a scarlet cord about them, one at a time, and let them down over the wall of the city. What a picture it is! I suppose that one of the spies helped her lower the first man to the ground, but when the next man's turn came, Rahab alone was left to support his weight, and I can see her as she braces herself and with all her strength grips the cord in her hands until it cuts into her fingers as she lowers the spy in safety to the earth. The men were grateful for her kindness and were glad to pledge to her protection for the future, and so they said in answer to her appeal. When we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother, and thy brethren, and all thy father's household, home unto thee. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And we are assured by the eleventh chapter of Hebrews, that wonderful roll-call of the heroes of the faith, that the army of Israel respected the pledge that had been given by these two spies, and that Rahab was saved when the city was captured. We have suggested in this story a fact which is apparent often, that the people who seem to be the worst are sometimes the first to perceive their danger and turn away from their sins. Christ said that the publicans and sinners had a better chance of salvation in his day than the scribes and the Pharisees, and the same fact is often witnessed in our own time. No one of us will be acquitted at last by what we have done, for we have all come short of our privileges and have sins to answer for before God. If we are saved, it will be because we have been forgiven our sins through Jesus Christ. It is not justice which we want but a pardon. By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. The law of God can never forgive us. Only through the pardon of God 
given us because we have taken Jesus Christ as our Savior and tied the scarlet thread of his dying blood in our window, can we ever be saved from the penalty of the law? A Confederate soldier belonging to the Army of Northern Virginia was on trial before a military court for desertion. His name was Edward Cooper, and when he rose to plead, he answered, Not guilty. The judge advocate asked, Who is your counsel? He replied, I have no counsel. Supposing that it was Cooper's purpose to represent himself before the court, the judge advocate was instructed to proceed. Every charge and specification against the prisoner was sustained. The prisoner was then told to introduce his witnesses. He said, I have none. Astonished at the calmness with which he seemed to be submitting to what he regarded as inevitable fate, the judge advocate said to him, Have you no defense? Is it possible that you abandoned your comrades and deserted your colors in the presence of the enemy without any reason? He answered, There was a reason, but it will not avail me before a military court. The judge then said, Perhaps you are mistaken. You are charged with the highest crime known to military law, and it is your duty to make known the causes that influenced your actions. For the first time, Cooper's manly form trembled and his eyes swam in tears. Approaching the president of the court, he presented a letter, saying as he did so, There, General, is what did it. General Battle opened the letter, and in a moment his eyes filled with tears. It was passed from one to another of the court until all had seen it. And those stern warriors, who had passed with Stonewall Jackson through a score of battles, wept like children. As soon as the president sufficiently recovered his self-possession, he read the letter as the defense of the prisoner. It was in these words. Dear Edward, I have always been proud of you. Since your connection with the Confederate Army, I have been prouder of you than ever before. I would not have you do anything wrong for the world. But before God, Edward, unless you come home, we must die. Last night I was aroused by little Eddie's crying. Oh, Mama, I'm so hungry. And Lucy, Edward, your darling Lucy, never complains, but grows thinner and thinner every day. And before God, Edward, unless you come home, we must die. Your Mary. Turning to the prisoner, General Battle asked, What did you do when you received this letter? He replied, I made an application for a furlough, and it was rejected. I made another application, and it was rejected. A third time I made an application, and it was rejected. And that night, as I wandered backward and forward in the camp thinking of my home, the wild eyes of Lucy looking up to me, the burning words of Mary sinking in my brain, I was no longer the Confederate soldier. I was the father of Lucy and the husband of Mary. And I would have passed those lines if every gun in the battery had been fired upon me. When I arrived home, Mary ran out to meet me and embraced me and whispered, Oh, Edward, I am so happy. I am so glad you got your furlough. She must have felt me shudder, for she turned as pale as death and, catching her breath with every word, she said, Have you come without your furlough? Oh, Edward, go back, go back. Let me and the children go down to the grave together. 
but for heaven's sake, save the honor of your name. And here I am, gentlemen, not brought here by military power, but in obedience to the command of Mary, to abide the sentence of your court. Every officer of that court-martial felt the force of the prisoner's words. Before them stood in beatific vision the eloquent pleader for a husband's and a father's wrong. But they had been trained by the great leader, Robert E. Lee, to tread the path of duty, though the lightning flash scorched the ground beneath their feet, and each in his turn pronounced the verdict, Guilty. Fortunately for humanity, the proceedings of the court were reviewed by the commanding general, and upon the record was written, The finding of the court approved. The prisoner is pardoned and will report to his company. R. E. Lee, General This story illustrates with great clearness how that, in strict justice, the guilty never can escape. No one here could have so good a plea to excuse his sin against God as this man had to excuse his desertion. But there was no chance for his acquittal by a just court. His only chance was the pardon of the commanding general, and our only hope, as sinners against God, is the pardon of the great commander. But Jesus Christ has shed his own blood on the cross as a propitiation for our sins, and wherever that scarlet thread appears above the window of the heart, God will guarantee to us forgiveness and protection. I would like to lay emphasis on the part of a sinner in his own salvation. Rahab, with her own hands, let the spies down over the wall, and with those same hands she bound the scarlet cord in the window. There is a sense in which our salvation is wrought out for us, and there is another sense, equally as important, in which we may be said to work out our own salvation. Our salvation does not hinge on the will of God, but upon our own will. God is willing to save us and is seeking to persuade us to accept salvation. We must take hold upon it with our own hands. The Christian life is not passive or negative, but a positive seizing hold of eternal life. In asking you to accept Christ, I am not inviting you to a monotonous existence, but I am urging you to take hold on a triumphant and joyous career. I am asking you also to join hands with the very best people who live on the earth, and this not only in living a good life yourself, but in seeking to lift all men up to a better life. Julia Thayer sings, The hands of the world, can't you see them today? The useless white hands, kept so shapely and fair. The hands of God's worker, one lifted to pray and one reaching down for the burdens of care. The hardened brown hands, so deformed and unsightly, yet beautiful still with the pathos of toil, and the great hands of power, used wrongly or rightly, the hands stained with sinning, from which you recoil, the cultured deft hands that are busy adorning, the unfinished temples of learning and art, the hands in dark places that grope for the morning, and the poor stricken hands that appeal to the heart. All these, if they'd clasp one another today, could reach round the world in a wonderful way. No one would be lonely, no lot wholly dreary, 
the thrill of our love would, magnet-like, give, a strength to the faint and a joy to the weary, a lightness of being and courage to live. Then come, clasp these hands, oh, how selfish to tarry, when all the world needs you this moment so much. Rise with the will and a purpose to carry, the help of your presence, the warmth of your touch. They want yours, the hands that drop low in their weakness, those heavy with burdens or empty with loss. They pray you to point with the spirit of meekness to love's burden-bearer who died on the cross. We all so much need one another today to girdle the globe with our hands in this way. I appeal to the very best that is in you, that you cease your ungrateful course in refusing Christ your love and your service, and that you give him from this hour the use of your hand and your voice and the love of your heart, and receive from him in turn not only the forgiveness of your sins, but the uplifting of his divine fellowship. As another has said, there are two courses open to the sinner. He may stifle or destroy for the time the thoughts and the feelings which mar his peace, or else a yearning, a longing, almost a demand, for relief shapes itself within him. Such a demand is the cry of the conscience. What must I do to be saved? Thou who hast borne all burdens, bear our load. Bear thou our load, whatever load it be, our guilt, our shame, our helpless misery. Bear thou who only canst, O God, my God. Seek us and find us, for we cannot thee. If there be any soul here that has sympathy with that cry, hear the message of the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Or yet again, he was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Sidney Watson, a converted London waif, now a popular author of Christian books in England, relates that while a prisoner in the East Indies, he had as fellow prisoner an old Scotch soldier who, after traveling over half the globe, was there dying. From a period of unconsciousness, he opened his eyes and glanced around, as if surprised at his surroundings murmuring brokenly, I thought me in my mother's cot in Perthshire. After a pause, with a quiet, fixed, peaceful look heavenward, he gasped, Nay, either name, one mediator, Jesus Christ, he is faithful, just, forgive sin. His mind wandered again for a moment, but his soldier training came back to him, and he tried to raise his head as he said, short and sharp, with a dying energy. Password, yes, blood of Christ, Christ cleanseth from all sin. A thrill passed through his frame, and the watchers knew that he had passed the guard into the presence of the king. There is only one password into eternal glory, and that is the blood of Christ. Bind the scarlet thread in the window of your heart, and be at peace. End of chapter 17